This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. didn't stand up. <laughs> yeah! I can let show represent <laughs> One girl in the front row stood up by herself. Yes, that's it right. Just, it was so sweet and then she turned around and saw that no one else was standing up and she sat down. It was the best. I felt, I felt it. It was the best, strongest ovation <laughs> from the loneliest person. It's my greatest fear to mm-hmm. stand up in front of people who I assume are standing and actually are sitting and staring at my ass. That's probably in the top three. Uh-huh, what are the other ones? Um, of course, Moths in a Box uh-huh. and just everything that's happening today. <laughs> but other than that... <laughs> We're all together. That's what's important, aren't we? Yes. We are. Yes. Oh, the late show. Yes, late show vibes. As we were walking up the stairs, Vince is walking us to the stage, and he goes, now remember, they've been drinking since five. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's right. So have we. I mean, look... I couldn't Listen. stay on the wagon for too long. <laughs> 17 years is quite some time. Uh, stop shaking me. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of our best new bits. <laughs> Let's see. Talked about that. Yeah, we did that we already. That guy oh, if you, I mean, some of you may have been here, but um, the first show. At mm-hmm. the end of the show, we had a wedding proposal of marriage. A wedding proposal of marriage. Yeah, it, was the, it wasn't just any wedding proposal, it was of marriage. Of marriage one. And not only that, if you follow the My Favorite Murder Out of Context Twitter feed, it's the people that run that. Mm-hmm. It's the, that couple, we brought them up said, thanks so much for doing that. They told us the story behind it. So cute. They dated in high school. Then they broke up and led their lives. Then they <laughs> met again. And I was like, I wonder which one's going to propose. And then, I, and then um, she was shaking so much, I realized it was her. <laughs> it was Ange. Ange was going to do it. I was like, but you don't shake that much and not know what's about to fucking happen. <laughs> and then she said since I'm broke and pulled a ring pop out of her pocket. It was so cute. It was so, I almost gave her my, uh, my, one of mine, but it's probably cost less than the ring pop did. 
That's not insulting to Vince because we went and bought it together. It's not? Not the good one. The one that I was like, I guess I need a a wedding ring after we got married. Everything about that gesture sucks. I know. (laughs) It didn't mean it that way. (laughs) But there it is. But there it was. But there it was. Um, Laying on the floor with the rug that we brought from home. (laughs) Oh, this is my favorite murder, by the way. It's a podcast. Thank you. That's Karen Kilgariff. This is Georgia Hardstark. Stop shaking Stop me. Stop shaking me. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> um, we were in New York all week. We saw one... Excuse me, yes. ...completely naked man in front of our hotel yesterday. Just one. Just the one. Thankfully, just one sighting. Thankfully, it was only him. And that's good luck, I think, when you see one. In L.A., it's if you see Angeline, Uh that lady in the pink car, that's good luck. And then in New York, just a fully nude man at night on the sidewalk. In front of the door to your hotel that you're about to have to walk through. Good luck! Good luck, goodbye. Yes. That happened. (laughs) That really happened to us. And I flashed you. If you were if you were here for the show before this, you'll know that I walked out of the elevator, knowing Karen was going to be waiting for me, so I could give her uh, my her bag. And at that moment, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I don't have sleeves on my dress. Pulled it down so my tits were out, and just walked out of the elevator. (laughs) At um, what was it? Midnight on a, at a Saturday. Today is Saturday. New, uh, on a Friday night. Right. <laughs> Midnight Friday night, New York City Hotel, and Georgia rolls the fucking dice and comes out topless. <laughs> Anyone could have been standing I next mean, to me. Either way, it's a great story. No, I mean, could have even been a better story That's if there was true. just a... Just a group of businessmen standing, <laughs> standing there talking about the fucking Dow Jones Industrial Average, and then Whoa. and then but I was like bet on you know red, and then I was right, and then you also can you bet on red in the Dow Jones? Probably Industrial Average? yes. I think it's it's green and purple and pink and red. Oh, and then you just bet, and then you make friends. <laughs> um, for me, visually. Um, it was shocking, not, uh, not because Georgia was topless, because she's done that fun trick to me several times. <laughs> it's true. It's surprise nakedness. I highly recommend it as a joke. Also, she makes her eyes go like three times wider than I've ever seen them. So there's lots to look at. It's like, what's this? How are you doing that? What's happening? <laughs> it's just the, it's the, it's the embodiment of surprise. Mm-hmm. But also that little dress you have, it's like a sundress, a sundress with an elastic at the top, and she just had it right underneath her tits, so it's kind of like how you do an off-the-shoulder, if you have your choice, you're like, I don't know, I'll go off the shoulder, she's just like, I'm going to go down here today, I'm just going to make it like, uh, surprise, I'm naked, my we, fucking, sometimes we have to make our own fun, it's my bit, <laughs> we do have to do hallway bits, that's right, it's good, um, Steven's not here, Steven's not here, everybody, I know. He's taking care of my cats. <laughs> That's how... What? <laughs> you go, he's, he's taking my, care of my cats. No. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Stop it! Stop shaking, Stop shaking me! 
he's doing a great job. Lots of photos. Yes, he always does such a good. He dedicates himself to the taking yeah. care of your cats. I think he's figured out, and he got a new app or something because now he's he's got a photo of them, and then it, um, and then hearts appear around it. Yes, and like a little song comes on if I hit the, if I hit the loud thing on, which I never do. I thought you were going to say that he had cat ears and like a cat face on the cats. <laughs> That would be oh, cute. Like, it's cat face app for cats. <laughs> you love cats so much. Put an extra cat face, cat on, face on your cat's face. It'll be great. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that the end of that That's anecdote? The one. That really was that really wasn't anything. It wasn't. Guys, it's, late listen, show. It's late. You don't it get the strongest strongest anecdotes, but that guy has an I'm an Elvis shirt on. You have an I'm an Elvis shirt on, don't you? And a Mimi! I have a Mimi shirt! Oh my god! She did the brave thing and stood right up. <laughs> she has lotion on her hands, by the way, and it feels really good. That's why I'm touching her so much. Also, because we're working on our new Cirque du Soleil act, <laughs> where we just weirdly pull each other to the side as the opening of the show. We had a, we just did a show, and then we do the meet and greet after with 100 people. It's, it's lots of hugging and smiling, and it's really lovely, and then both of us go back. We're not old ladies and yet no. both of us go back into the green room and just do these stretches because <laughs> like, both oh, of our back hurts really my hips this oh, time my plantar fast have you tried this hip thing oh. it's real sad it's very there's a lot of grunting and yeah. groaning and it's not like this is um sports strenuous or any anything <laughs> at, at all. all hard there's five minutes of standing and then there's an hour of sitting and we're like <laughs> oh yeah. How do we get through another night? No one's ever thrown their back out from hugging people before. And yet, we had a girl in the meet and greet who said, she was, went really fast. She was like, yeah. great, great to meet you. And she was walking away and she goes, my psychic Italian grandmother knows who killed John Bonet as she walked away. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And Karen's like, what? Get fucking back here right now. And she How goes, psych- Karen goes, she's psychic? And she goes, she's a psychic nutritionist. And then fucking what? <laughs> and I walked away. A psychic nutritionist? I can tell you ate fucking whatever for breakfast. Right. <gasps> she's like, stop with the carbs already. And she's like, you don't have to be a psychic. You really. That's a bit of a scam, psychic nutritionist. That's true. I don't know. It feels like you're eating a ton of carbs. <laughs> I don't know why. I feel like you eat chocolate and cry <laughs> in hotel beds. No, it seems like you lay down all the time. <laughs> I feel like you ate McDonald's <laughs> in a New York hotel room. And you're like, oh no, sorry, that was I just burped. I'm so sorry. That was me. You're not psychic. Mm. I have. I'm repeating. Should we sit down? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Uh Tonight's table was brought to you in miniature. <laughs> no, we haven't grown in size. The table has shrunk. This is a magic show. It is. I wonder this... if they used this when they were here for the uh, recent uh, Price is Right Live. Did you guys know there was a fucking thing? I mean, I know the Price is Right is live to begin with. Right, live That's to a, tape. Live, live to, to tape. tape. Yeah. I've been. It's yeah. so much fucking fun, and I hate everything. And it was like... Drew Carey was amazing and a dream. 
It was lovely. And did you you didn't get to run on down. Fuck no. no. You have to be like fun and excited. <laughs> you have to be like it's six in the fucking morning and you ha- and they interview you and you have to be like, oh, I'm a dancing, you know, a poet for my job. Right, and exactly. I love, I'm so excited to be here. And I'm just not. What would your okay, say? I'll be the announcer, okay. probably Don Pardo. I can't remember who it is. And then you do the camera's gonna go like this, yeah. and then and well, the next contestant on the price is right. Come on down, Georgia Hartstark. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you sh- it should be you. It should be you. You should go. Go for me. Go for me. I'm the director. Cut, cuts, cuts. <laughs> go again. We're pick, gonna take that again with pick someone, someone else. Someone else. Okay, now you do it, and I'll, I'll okay. do my reaction. And the next contestant on the prize of the right is Karen Kilgariff. Come on down. Uh-oh. <laughs> I would straight up deny. Yeah. I would, I would never be there in the first place. This is, uh, this is a late show. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> Thank you. This is also a true crime comedy podcast before we get started. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. So, you know. We always like to run that down for people. Yeah, some people don't know. It's true crime. There's people who are brought to this show by other people uh, against their will mm-hmm. and against their better judgment. Someone in the, in the uh, meet and greet line, they were like three people who were like so happy and hugging us. And there's one woman who's just like, I guess. Um, <laughs> And the girl goes, this is my aunt. She thought she was coming to a murder mystery show. <laughs> she thought we were going to solve the murders at the end of the show. <laughs> How did they lie to her? And I was kind of looking at her. I was like, sorry. And she was like, eh. eh, eh can't win them all. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is. A, it's like a mystery how this is happening. <laughs> uh, we had a girl murder. in the, um, this was my... Uh, uh, my favorite moment <laughs> happening in my brain. Um, the meet and greet in New York. There was a girl who was a, the, we call them drag-alongs. She was a drag-along. <laughs> We've and, never called them that before. <laughs> but I love it. You know, drag-alongs. That thing we say all the time and have t-shirts of. Um, <laughs> so the drag-along was like, it was that thing where she was like, I, did, da, 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 I brought her, it's my birthday or whatever. And I turned to her and I was like, did you have fun? She was like, it was all right. <laughs> it's like, all right, well, okay. And then she starts explaining how this friend of hers is so obsessed that every time they get into the car, she makes them listen to the podcast. And she goes, and I'm like sitting in the car like, uh, why do we got to listen to talking? <laughs> <laughs> and she's fucking right. She's right. Don't make your friends listen to talking. That's, you're supposed to do it with your friend. And then when they're not there, do it with your other friends. But Are you first this time? Are you ready to listen to some talking? <laughs> Good. 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 You're first this time. I was first last time. Oh, I didn't do the full explanation. So yes. if you're here and you've never seen the show before, it's a true kind of comedy podcast, which is kind of a difficult combination sometimes. If people aren't used to mm-hmm. this setup... You know, murder is obviously a terrible thing. It's very dark and it's very tragic. Mm-hmm. And we're not laughing at the fact that keep people kill other people. There's nothing funny about mm-hmm. it. But in the way that we have the conversation about it, because of our personalities and the way we talk to each other, we are funny to each other about the things we're talking about. It's a complex yeah. 
kind of a layered experience. We say this at the top of every episode. You, you, you guys know this by heart by now. Yeah, but just for the people who don't know, if you don't like it, get the fuck out, is essentially... <laughs> that's, that's all I'm saying. That's all. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like, perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, made-in cookware. Made-in was created to bring restaurant-quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made-in. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made-in products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. And now I'm going to do The Legend of Lizzie Borden. (gasps) We'll do it fast. Let me go first. <laughs> I only have one photo. We can see it at the end. I can't follow that. You do, what if Let it's a piece first. of shit? It's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't want to change the no, rules. No, don't change it. Okay. That's weird. All right. Steven comes out. <laughs> I'm sorry. Steven uh, comes out with a clipboard and a whistle. No, you cannot change it. <laughs> You've been very inaccurate about the order for years. Please don't change it. Okay.
You go, you go, you go, you go, you go. Yeah, I'm going. Go, 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 go. You're right. I'm going to. <laughs> Lizzie Andrew Borden. That's not true. <laughs> was born on July 19th, 1860 in Fall River, Massachusetts. Fall River? Is it pronounced Fall River? <laughs> Revere. I think it's Fall when, Revere. When that one came up, I was like, I fucking got this. <laughs> First fall and then river. <laughs> There's no extra E-H's at the end or anything. Um, so their father was, um, grew up kind of poor, modestly, but um, he worked very hard throughout his life. Eventually becomes... he's a the director of textile, textile mills. He's a commercial landlord. He does very well for himself. Um, at the time of his death, he was worth $300,000, um, which today is worth how much? More than $300,000. That's right. Over $8 million. Whoa. So Shit, money back. The Bordens were rich bitches up on the hill. Fuck. Yeah. But Andrew, the father... I'm going to call him Andy, was a cheap bastard. <laughs> he, even though uh, families of means at, uh, of the day all had um, electricity and indoor plumbing. Basics. Right. As we call them. Andy was like, we don't need that. Shit. We can go without. Yes. No, you can't. Try it <laughs> once. And then you're like, yeah, we need this. <laughs> Flush the toilet one time in your life. And you're like, wow. They're all, wow, this is incredible i can't go without this <laughs> poor lizzie's out in the outhouse with a candle i really hate my life um she has an older sister named emma and they're raised uh very religious and um lizzie belongs to lots of fun clubs like the endeavor society of women's christian temperance union why fucking do not party at all <laughs> that's the whole no. point of it they don't spike that holy water. No. Ever. No. Is that a thing? No. Spiking holy water? <laughs> yeah, it should be. Well, um, you just go like this with it, uh -oh. so unless okay. you spike it with fucking acid. <laughs> then you're like, oh my God, Jesus is my boyfriend. <laughs> I love him so much. You're going to go see Dave Matthews with my boyfriend, Jesus. <laughs> Finally. So, no. Okay. When she's three years old, Lizzie and Emma's mom dies. Or I should say just Lizzie's mom dies. Yeah, that's sad. Um, her father remarries a, man, a woman named nope. Abby Frey. Um, Lizzie and her sister never call Abby mom or mother. Um, they call her Mrs. Borden. Because they hate her fucking guts. Even at three years old, or I guess older. Well, as I guess as they grew up. Yeah. Once they learned how to give shade, <laughs> they were like, <laughs> oh, I know how to be very lightly rude to you all day, every day for the rest of your life. Wow. We're going to keep it formal. Um, they both believe that Abby only married their father for his money, mm -hmm. so they're not into it. Okay, so we're going to cut to, um, it's the end of July, 1892. Okay. Lizzie uh, is an unmarried 32-year-old Sunday school teacher who, don't forget, belongs to the Women's Christian oh. Union Temperance Union. Right, those crazy ladies. So, Why marry when you got your bitches such a fucking care? Oh, can we pull up the first picture? Um, I'm not sure... 
Oh, yeah. So here's their home. Home. Um, mm. Millionaires. It's very boxy. And then on the left, there's the outhouse. <laughs> Just a huge, one huge pit on the other side of that door. <laughs> cool. Okay, um, looks bleak. Oh, and then I think, would you go to the next picture too? Because I think we've got, there she is. There's our star. She 100% looks like a character that the, a hilarious trick from Saturday Night Live would play. You know. Yep, I What's do. What's her name? Yes, Kate McKinnon. Thank you. Yes. You know why? Because Kate McKinnon's when she's being super funny, she just does yes. crazy eyes like that. Yeah. But Lizzie had them all the time, apparently. Look at those close-cropped curl bangs that she's... Is yeah. that a thing? Those took some work. Do I need to do that now? Yeah, you should do a part straight up the middle. <laughs> Every time we do old stories and I see the women's hairstyles from like long ago, it makes me panic like I have to have that hair right now. Because <laughs> that shit where you have to wrap braids up around your head like fucking Heidi and walk around. I mean, I would have... It, it's horrifying yeah. to think. Just... What about the ones like the <laughs> Jane Austen time where you had to do braid hoops? Like, like they're like big Mary J. Blige earrings, but braids. <laughs> Who no. pulls that off? Nobody. Not this Irish face. Instagram Stop. models. <laughs> what if the Jane Austen look came back? Then the Instagram models can have it. That's right. <laughs> and they can keep it. And then give it. I do... I do like a nice high uh, collar, though. High tight bodice. Just right up to... To choke you. Just right up to the chin. <laughs> it's hot. Okay. Sometimes nudity's hot, and then some, sometimes covering your entire body is also hot. <laughs> trying to wear a unitard dress. It's all that will do. It, okay. Mm-hmm. So Lizzie is living in her father's house... As a Sunday school teacher, 32 years old, unmarried. Nothing wrong with it. No, no. Uh, but back then they called her an, a hag, a haggard, haggard spinster. <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> no, that's just, I just call her that. Okay. Um, okay, you can take that picture down of Lizzie. It's scaring us. It's a bit haunting. <laughs> it's a bit She's like, the entire time. It's intense. People she's in the audience are like, got she's my looking. eyes. <laughs> yeah. She's looking right at me. <laughs> um, okay. Okay. So a couple weeks before uh, the time I'm about to talk about. Uh-huh. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how I phrase that on the page. Lizzie and her sister get into a fight with their parents, their dad and stepmom, because they find out that the dad is giving huge amounts of real estate to Abby's family. Don't do that. So no. they're pissed. Okay. Okay, so then a couple days after this big family fight, um, the whole household is taken violently ill. Uh-oh. And, yeah, um, including their Irish maid, Maggie Sullivan. Um, and so... Abby fears that somebody may have tried to poison them because she knows that no one likes her husband, including his daughters, and probably their Irish maid, most likely. Sounds great, right? Sounds like a healthy, fun place to it's hang out. It's a fun house with no electricity or toilets. Or alcohol. And fighting, stress. Yeah, no fucking alcohol. I'm sure tons of Bibles. Um, okay, so the, everybody recovers, but um, and they recover just in time 
for their uncle John Morris to visit. And they think he was there to discuss the property transfer issue. Okay, so it's August 4th, 1892. Okay. And so that morning, after breakfast, Andrew and Uncle John, they're in the sitting room, and John decides he's going to go head into town and (laughs) buy a pair of oxen. He's just like, I'll be right back. (laughs) I I have to go pick up a couple oxen. I forgot. I'm going to go to the bodega right. real quick. And just grab two huge oxen and bring them back. <laughs> Anyone want any Chobani Do you- in there? <laughs> <laughs> any Tate's cookies? Yeah. Ogre, just, just the oxen. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, he's also going to go visit another niece in, uh, in Fall River. So he says he's going to be back at noon. And Andrew goes for a morning walk. This is around 9 a.m. Um, Lizzie and Emma are supposed to clean John's guest room because um, that's the nor- one of their chores. They have chores, even though they're 32 and 34. And have so much fucking money. They have a ton of money no one will actually let them touch. <laughs> and they have to pee in a field. Um, <laughs> still, go make the bed. So Emma's gone away to visit friends, uh, and Lizzie's not anywhere to be found, so Abby goes up to clean that guest room sometime between 9 and 10.30 a.m., um, and as she's changing the pillowcases, she is struck on the side of the head just above the ear with a hatchet, causing her to fall face down on the ground. And then she's struck with that hatchet 18 more times on the back of the head, oh. killing her, no. it says at the end of the sentence. <laughs> Turns out it killed her. Was it the 17th? It's, it was uh, the 17th. somewhere around 12, is what I heard. Shit, man. It's all theory. That is what we... And- here at Law and Order, call overkill. <laughs> That's right. There's a personal issue here. There's a rage issue here. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but they don't know any of that yet because this is before police work was invented. Okay. <laughs> Andrew gets back from his walk, uh, but the front he goes to open the front door um, with his front door key. It won't work, so he knocks. The Irish maid uh, Maggie comes down. She has. She tries to unlock the door. She finds that it's jammed. Um, and then she claims that she heard Lizzie laughing on the stairs. Uh, but she looks around and she doesn't see her there. Hey. Um, where's page three? There it is. Fuck. Why is page three after page four? Steven! Steven! <laughs> he has nothing to do None. with it. It's actually probably Vince's fault. <laughs> uh, no. Okay, so according to Lizzie, she had been out in the barn looking for as we all do, you know, during the day when you're a lady walking around looking for a piece of iron. Okay. I feel like that got lost in translation in the past hundred years right. or so. Like, it made sense then? Yes. At the time, she said something specific that made sense and was people yeah. were like, oh, good, good, good. Right. But now it's just like... What? She, she was out touching pitchforks. Like, it, it, <laughs> like, looking for a piece of iron back then was like an innuendo for like... <laughs> I was changing my, you know... Say it. Tampon. Yeah. <laughs> Did they have... The, they didn't have those. No. I was changing the cumbersome fucking diaper I had to wear when I got my period, essentially. I was out in the red tent. Yeah. Um, okay, so... She's out looking for iron. <laughs> oh, You know, actually. your morning ritual. You, uh, I'm... I'm can't wake up without my iron. Um, 
So when she comes back into the house, she tells her father that Abby, the stepmother, had gotten a note from a sick friend, and so she'd left the house to go call on that friend. And then she helps her father. She, this is what she tells police later, that she um, brings her father over to the couch and helps him pull off his boots um, and get settled on the couch because he's going to take a nap. Okay, so then she tells Maggie that there's a sale at the department store, and why doesn't she go check it out? <laughs> and Maggie, who probably makes 11 cents a week, is like, why don't you go fuck yourself, actually? Because an, I have to go scrub shit. In an Irish accent. Uh, uh, why don't you go fuck yourself? Thank you. Something like that? Thank you, thank you. Jesus! <laughs> Lizzie Barden telling me to go shopping. <laughs> Grandma? My grandma! (laughs) Grandma came. I was just possessed by my psychic grandma. (laughs) Okay. Maggie's like, I actually still don't feel bad from when we all got poisoned last week, so I'm going to go take a nap. And she goes up to her third floor, um, looked like an attic uh, room, and she goes and takes a nap. So she's resting, and um, she then hears Lizzie screaming from downstairs, Maggie, come quick, father's dead. Somebody came in and killed him. Mm. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. You say it all like that at once when something like that happens. Let me hear it. Yell it. Maggie, come quick. The father's dead. It's, you know, somebody came at the front door. It was jammed earlier, but then we got <laughs> it open. Remember that? We were sick last week. We, all got, we weren't poisoned, though, but we were all sick. Remember? Anyway, somebody came in, a stranger from not from Fall River, probably from another town. Come quick. My father died. Thank you. You know there's a movie of this coming out. There's a movie coming out with Chloe Sevigny, I believe. Ooh, I love her. It looks good. She can be creepy. Yes, she can. When she wants to she, be. She can do that stare. Fuck yeah, she can. Oh, yeah. It's already out. It's, Is it out? There's a theater oh. critic here. We have to leave this show and go watch it. Immediately. Okay. So, uh... Maggie comes down, she finds Andrew is uh, slumped on the couch, and he has 11 hatchet wounds to the face. (sighs) Into his face. Right in the old face. 11. That's 10 in a row, and then one for good measure. (laughs) Shit. Ouch. That's some anger. Uh, I'm not going to put up the picture. If you are a Georgia, then you're going to look (laughs) the picture up um, after the show. I was... Horrifying. thinking about how it's, I, I need to study that photo. It's not good, but here's what's interesting. Um, it looks like a man laying on a couch and who's tried to be funny and just put a bunch of hamburger on his face. That's <laughs> essentially what it looks like. Uh, well, I'm not showing it to you, so you can't be mad. I'm just giving, I'm just painting a picture with words, and that's what I do for a living. Okay. Now, here's what's interesting. When you look at that picture, that crime scene photo, you will see that Andrew Borden has his boots on. So, So, there's things... Things aren't adding up. Get your story straight, Lizzie. Yeah. That's really your name. Don't... <laughs> Lizzie Andrew. Lizzie Andrew, get in here and get that story straight. <laughs> okay, so... The, there's details. Uh-oh. His nose was cut off entirely. Oh. You'd think so with 11 hits. Yeah, yeah. Um, so obviously there was even more screaming after the fact. And then um, Maggie runs to get a doctor, sadly and ironically. Um, 
Now, the neighbors, who of course have heard intense blood-curdling screams, begin to gather at the house, which is what everybody used to love to do at crime scenes back in the day. Just come in, start walking around. Mm -hmm. So Lizzie goes out, and she starts telling all of them that Abby was out sick, visiting a sick friend. She basically starts explaining shit to everybody um, as her father is laying on the couch dead. She also mentions how the family had been poisoned the week before, or that she thought their milk was poisoned, how they'd all gotten sick at the same time. Um, So the police, Maggie finally brings the police back, and they immediately suspect Lizzie um, because, and this is a thing that, that happens has happened a lot. Um, they she's not acting like a daughter whose whose father has just been murdered with a hatchet. She's very calm and cold and poised. Um, but maybe she was like that all the time. Uh, the other problem is that her story changes every, with every police person that she talks to. So. Um, first she said she was walking into the house and then she heard a noise but then the next person she talks to she says she came in she didn't hear anything and everything was normal until she found her father um, when she's asked where Abby is she tells the police that she's gone to visit the sick friend but then the next time she's asked she changes her story and she says oh I think she's actually upstairs somebody could somebody go look yeah they're like can you can you finally go find her I'm sick of putting on this charade yes so somebody else could you go look for the person I know for a fact is alive upstairs so Maggie <gasps> and a neighbor lady start to walk upstairs mm, do and it. they get like halfway up the stairs and when they get eye level with the ground they can see into the guest room and they see Abby laying dead in a pool of blood um, so there was probably more screaming there um, uh, now, what's weird is even though they suspect her, the police do not check Lizzie's clothes or hands for blood. Um, and she tells them that she needs to go lay down, so they can't really, they, they can only kind of glance into her room. She won't let them into her room at all mm. to look around. Mm-hmm. And they're like, all right. Um, <laughs> I guess that's just how it is. Uh, so. They do search the rest of the house, and in the basement they find two hatchets, two axes, and then a third hatchet head with a broken handle. Um, They think the broken one might be the murder weapon because it looks like someone tried to add dust and dirt to the blade. So try to kind of cover it up. Uh Um, But still, they take nothing from the house. There's no evidence. There's no. They're just like, okay, I'm going to take a picture with my mind. (laughs) Got it. Dirty hatchet. All right. See you guys later. Um, At one point, one of the officers sees Lizzie and her friend Alice Russell, who lives in the neighborhood, go into the cellar together. um, And they both leave the cellar, but then Lizzie goes into the house by herself, and he thinks he sees her washing something. She's, like, bent over the sink washing something. He doesn't ask. He doesn't look. They all leave. (laughs) He's like, hey, I'm an MYOB in this situation. Two days later, the police, um, they begin a more thorough investigation. They just had to take a breather and think things through, (laughs) really, take some time for themselves. Um, So they start looking at all the clothing, and they they inspect the hatchets, and they tell Lizzie she is now officially a suspect. Um, And at some point after this, Alice comes back over to the house, and she finds Lizzie, and Lizzie is um, in the backyard burning a dress. And cool. when she, right? Yeah. So she asks Lizzie, what's going on? And Lizzie says, oh, I got some paint on this dress, so I can't wear it anymore. 
So I'm just going to be cool about it and burn I'm it I'm just going to burn it. Stare, you know, stare, stare. I'm Chloe Sevigny. <laughs> so Alice gets the creeps and leaves. Um, <laughs> so on August 8th, they take Lizzie in. The police take Lizzie in for questioning. Um, her, I don't know. They could have come to her house. I'm not sure if they had a police station or what the setup was. <laughs> They go somewhere. They, they take her in conceptually. I don't know where. Um, <laughs> she asks for attorney. They refuse. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess they, they could do that back then. All the rules were different. It was totally opposite year. Um, <laughs> and at one point, she freaks out so bad that she's, they have to give her a shot of morphine. Fun. So, <laughs> so as you'd imagine, that, has a, that affects her testimony when they begin to question her. She can't really track what she's saying, mm-hmm. and she's contradicting herself, and uh, she's a little erratic, maybe kind of sleepy. Um, <laughs> she says she was on the stairs. Then she says she never went up the stairs. She says she took her father's boots off. They show her the crime scene photo where his boots are oh, on. Um, eventually, the investigators discover that the day before the murders, um, Lizzie had tried to buy something called prussic acid, otherwise known as cyanide, oh. at the drugstore in town. Uh, but the clerk told her that she needed a prescription for it. <laughs> my doctor says I need this. <laughs> oh, my bones. It was either back then, it was either if you had an illness or an uh, ailment of any kind, you either got cyanide or cocaine. Those were your two choices. Sometimes you'd get them together and have Ooh, a fucking party. Speedball. Okay. <laughs> so there's a trial. On August 11th, uh, uh, a warrant is served. Lizzie's arrested for the murder of her parents um, five days before the trial begins. The, I find this to be so fascinating. I didn't know this before. Five days before the trial begins, there's another axe murder in the area. (gasps) What? Yes. Um, And that suspect goes to trial and is convicted, but the police say that the man was not in the uh, Falls River area at the time of the Borden double murder. Did I say Falls? Fall. Um, Sorry. It's very late. Um, (laughs) So they say he's not around. But I just think that's the most... What is bizarre coincidence? Copycat. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, I don't know. Um, okay, so Lizzie Borden's trial begins June of 1893. Of course, it's a media sensation. Um, they compare it now to like... It was like the OJ trial of the day. It's all anybody talked about. There were reporters in this tiny town from New York, from Boston. Uh, all these people packing the courtroom. And... So the prosecution just brings the facts. Here's the broken hatchet head that was found in the basement. Um, Alice Russell gets up, testifies about Lizzie burning the dress. Um, there's uh, different, there's, you know, all the places Lizzie says she was are brought up, all, the, all her conflicting stories. But Lizzie maintains uh, when, uh, that she was in the barn at the time of the attacks. Um, a witness named Hyman Lubinsky, um, he says... <laughs> I mean, (laughs) what can we do? It was the past. (laughs) He says he saw Lizzie leave the barn at 11.03 a.m. And uh, Charles the gardener confirms it. I guess he doesn't have a last name. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, at 11.10, Lizzie called to Maggie downstairs, uh, or upstairs saying that her father had been killed. Um, so they're trying to put the timeline together of where she actually was. Um, and, and there was a lot of dramatics in the courtroom, of course. And at one point, when it is revealed that Abby and Andrew's heads were removed for the autopsy, Ugh. Lizzie faints dead away in the courtroom. Shit. Um, altogether, the trial lasts two weeks. Uh, which is actually really short. And then when the jury um, goes out, uh, they're only out for one and a half hours, and then they come back with the verdict, and they find Lizzie Borden not guilty. What? She's acquitted of this crime. It seems like a lot of people don't know that. <laughs> but the jury found her not guilty. Um, so... When she was leaving the courthouse, she told the press, I am the happiest woman in the... No, she told them, I'm the happiest woman in the world. (laughs) Can't you tell? (laughs) I'm smiling. Now, what's crazy is, because of the wonderful children's rhyme that we all learned and the legend, um, Lizzie remained the uh, prime suspect in everyone's mind, basically to this day, um, and she's been memorialized basically as an axe murderer. Um, and why do people believe so strongly that she did it? There's lots of theories and there was lots of kind of good reasoning. First of all, it's all the personal um, elements of the murders that, that, you know, a hatchet um, to the face, to the head. It's obviously somebody that had a lot of rage and wanted revenge or, you know, the attack was personal theorizing so obviously she could have done it for the money she had a lot she used to inherit a ton of money from her father and clearly if he was like parsing out the millions to his new wife Mm -hmm. then then that meant her inheritance was getting smaller Mm -hmm. um there was also a theory she was being physically and sexually abused by her father Mm. which would then track with the um viciousness of the attack um there was also a rumor that Lizzie was having a tryst with Maggie, the Irish maid. Ooh. And that's right. And then, um, and because of that, uh, Andrew and a- Abby, or one or the other, were witness to that, and they had to get rid of the witnesses. Um, but none of those are proven to be true. That's just mm-hmm. all theory and or gossip around the town. So the Borden sisters get their inheritance because she, Lizzie's acquitted. And um, after the trial, they buy a huge modern house on in the Hill neighborhood of Fall River. And they and, name it Fuck You, Dad. <laughs> Jesus. Fuck You, Dad Manor. <laughs> yeah. they, they hire a full staff. Wow. They just like live large up in their manor house. Um, Lizzie begins calling herself Lizbeth. Mm. Like a college sophomore that goes to France for one semester. <laughs> but everyone's in town's like, you're fucking Lizzie Borden and you killed your father with 40 wax of an axe, so get the fuck out oh of here. Oh my God. Um, so she's ostracized by society. Mm-hmm. And um, then in 1905, uh, her and her sister Emma get into a fight and Emma moves out of their mansion on the hill and the sisters never see each other again. Aww. Yeah. Um, so Lizzie Borden died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927 at the age of 74, and only a couple people attended her funeral. Wow. Um, her sister Emma died nine days later. Aww. Yeah, isn't that sad? Um, they're buried next to each other now in Oak Grove Cemetery, and that is the legend of Lizzie Borden. Damn! Damn! 
For more accurate information, you can also watch the Christina Ricci series that was on. That's pretty good. Christina Ricci has a really creepy, like, stare and forehead as well. She works that. She can work that costume. Sure, that part down the middle, bang. She, she, that's someone who can work the part down the middle. That's right. Okay, that was incredible. Great job. Thanks so much. Thank so you so much. You don't, do you not think she did it? Like, I kind of don't care, but <laughs> I like the rhyme. I think it would make sense. It's such, it seems like it was such an oppressive household. Mm-hmm. Like, to have a father that has millions of dollars and won't get fucking electricity. Yeah. Like, just as someone who's, my father would not buy us Atari <laughs> when we were growing up, and we weren't poor. He just wouldn't do it, out, like, on principle. And then finally, one Christmas, he got us a used Pong like machine which is an atari kids no pong is like caveman atari pong is just tennis it's it's lines it's like two l's playing a game against each other it was so long after that one right yeah yeah and we were just like what why like what did we ever do to you yeah so So imagine electricity imagine knowing how mad i was about the pong (laughs) This seems like it's very, very possible. And also just there's things, there's things about it, like yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the fact that everybody got sick. I think maybe yeah. she was trying out a couple things and maybe that fight, and there was just things building. I also think back then, women just didn't, it was like she didn't get married. You know, she was a Sunday school teacher. Just all of her life was really oppressive, obviously very dedicated to the family. So it's just like she went off. Yeah. And she just snapped, it seems like. Shit. Maybe. Or maybe she's just a victim because she just doesn't react to anything. And people hate that. Yeah. Well, and that's our take. That's the part of the podcast called, and that's our take. Our take is, we don't know. (laughs) Our take is, I'm sure someone wrote a great book that's going to explain exactly why it's one way or the other, but I didn't read it. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. This is, I'm going to do the Eastern Airlines hijacking of flight 1320. Whoa. You know I love a fucking crazy-ass hijacking story. Hell yes. All right. Okay. Clear it. Here we go. Warm up that instrument. 
So when, I, let me just give you some uh, an overview. Please do. A history. When the government started to oversee aviation in 1958, hijacking wasn't a crime yet, uh, and the early airports were designed in a way that made it so you could just go on in and bring whatever you want on board. You just walked right through on the tarmac, get on the plane, you didn't even fucking buy a ticket. You didn't have to put your cigarette out. No. They were like, please smoke on the plane. It helps it rise up in the air. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean you didn't buy a ticket? You get, you get on, the, it's like a train. You get on the plane and then they're like, tickets, tickets. <laughs> no. and, you, and you pay for your ticket from your fucking seat, I swear. I Are swear you I serious? Read, I swear I read this. I don't know. If, um, it's true on the internet. It's true on the internet. Isn't that insane? Yeah, that's so, so crazy. So the, the, the uh, uh, yeah, so the, the stewardess, they were called at the time, which is a fucking outdated term, we all know. Uh, Good catch. You just think you. <laughs> so you would just go and they'd give you a ticket, no ID, nothing like that. You just paid for your ticket and they were like, great. And hijacking uh, wasn't considered a serious threat by the airlines or the passengers. So it started happening and it was almost like a prank. <laughs> like it was basically like when the dude who would like, the streaker who would run on the fucking field, it was like, that guy, you're slowing the game down. Stop it. But you're funny. Like, stop it. So they, it would just be people who wanted to go places and they would hijack jack the plane and just be like take me to Cuba was a normal thing and they would take him there and everything would be fine like so to or from to <laughs> really Where, from okay, wherever right. I don't know anywhere um, it was it was kind of seen as an inconvenience more than anything else <laughs> they would be like oh great we're going to Cuba okay honey we got hijacked I'm gonna be like three hours late exactly um, and there was actually an Italian-American dude uh, who hijacked a plane from Los Angeles. He made them take him to Rome. When he arrived, he was hailed as a hero by all the Italians. They refused <laughs> to extradite him. Yes. Because they were like, this fucking guy. And he was also incredibly hot, so they fucking cast him in a spaghetti western. Yes. Like, that's how hijacking was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, so it wasn't, no one gave a shit. Uh, <laughs> What move? Is that Clint Eastwood? Probably. Is that how Clint Eastwood got his start? <laughs> um, there's a 99% invisible podcast episode about hijacking that talk- talks about this stuff. Okay. Um, eventually, the hijackers start to become more like classic kidnappers demanding ransom. So they were like, we better do something about this. So in 1968, the FAA created an anti-hijacking tax task force to come up with solutions because the airlines were like, we don't want to spend all this money. It's going to cost so much money to hi- check people and make sure they're hijackers or not. <laughs> so let's all think of a better solution. And they were like, hey, the public, feel free to fucking throw in your suggestions oh, as well. Oh, really? They were like, we want to hear it. So they, took, they took calls? They took calls. <laughs> they came up with shit like, uh, what if we do a fake airport that we pretend is Cuba but it's really here in Florida, and then we arrest them when they get off. <laughs> they're, like, too expensive. Perfect. Then oh. someone was like, how about an ejector seat for the hijackers? Yes. Not fucking kidding. Or a seat where, like, a, you get a, a shot of, like, morphine comes up and, sh- and, and shoots the hijacker with sleeping pills and what, shit. Was this, these were all the ideas from a fifth-grade classroom? <laughs> That's right. Spider-Man. <laughs> how about Spider-Man comes in? Um... Okay, so then uh, none of those worked. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they didn't. Uh-huh. So one flight was hijacked in 1969, and this is how little people, how not seriously people took it. In 1969, it was hijacked from Newark to Miami, and um, this is, there's an episode of Radio Lab that talks about this. The host of the show Candid Camera 
You guys know that popular show. Yeah. Alan Funt was on board with his family. The fucking, the plane gets legit hijacked. And when the passengers see Alan Funt, they're like, <laughs> oh, you can't get us. And when, and they're like, this is a prank show. And even when the hijackers come out of the cockpit, they all applaud him for being an actor. They're like, you can't. And Alan Funt's like, I swear to fucking God, this is not a prank. He's the only, like, him and his wife and kid are the only ones who know it's not a prank. That's, and Actually, the hijackers. That's okay. First of all, how fucking hilariously frustrating for those hijackers where they're yeah. look at everybody get down and they're like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah. You, you can't fool me. Alan. I recognize you. It's a great episode of Rail called uh, Smile My Ass. Is the, it's really funny. That's so good. That's right. Um, and so it wasn't until the plane actually landed in Havana instead of Florida and the fucking plane <laughs> is surrounded by Cuban military officers that people <laughs> finally believed it was. Which is like, if, if something like that is happening, I want to believe it's a joke until it's not anymore. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, what a great way. Yes. To, like, yeah. you mean like when we were flying here today and the plane <sighs> just went like this real quick. It went... <laughs> And yeah. I was fucking studying this oh, when that no. happened. I couldn't tell you that. <laughs> I couldn't let you know. I was like, yeah, I was scared because I'm studying hijacking right now. Oh, that's all. It was, it was scary, but it was scary in that way where I went, like, everybody went, oh, like that. And then, but then it was just completely normal as if it didn't happen. And then I was just like, please don't have a panic attack. <laughs> I was like begging my brain, like, just stay in this mode right now and don't... Just don't think about how that felt. Well, it was what I do every time, and I'm sure everyone else does, is look at the flight attendant. Is she cool? She's cool. She's cool. Okay, then everything... If she's going like this, then I'm, like, going to have a panic attack. If she's, they, she's still getting, like, cups and yeah, stuff. Yeah, she did not mi- miss a beat. No. She was just like, whatever. Yeah. Get these assholes out up here. <laughs> um... So, okay, so this is what hijackings were like, in, uh, and that's how things stood on March 17th, 1970, St. Patrick's Day, your favorite holiday, everyone here, Boston. <laughs> so that's when, uh, March 17th, 1970, when the first death caused by air piracy in U.S. history took place in Massachusetts airspace. Wow. Yeah. So here we are. Okay. So 7.30 p.m., uh, Eastern Airlines flight bound, uh, flight bound for Boston from Newark, New Jersey, takes off with 68 passengers. Newark. I have to burp. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Shit. Uh, edit that out of your brains, please. <laughs> so it's 68 passengers and five crew members uh, are aboard. Everything is totally normal until shortly after takeoff, they're passing over Franklin, uh, and when, it, when about 30 miles south of Logan Airport, when the flight attendant comes around to collect the ticket money. <laughs> you want to buy a ticket for this plane you're already on? Yeah, exactly. What happens when you're like, I don't have any money? Well, well then you better go smoke in the bathroom, I guess. <laughs> um, she gets to a man named John J. DeVivio, DeVivo, excuse me, he tells the flight attendant that he doesn't have any money for the $15.75 ticket. Wow. How long ago? <laughs> in 70? I don't have today's money, sh- uh, how much that is, but I'm sure it's not the $700 it would cost today. That's what I was going to say. Huh? I started saying $700. Oh, my God. Hi. Hey. <laughs> he says, uh, I don't have the money, and asks to speak to the pilot, and then pulls out a thirty-eight caliber revolver. Dang. 
he, so John DeVivo is a 27-year-old who lived with his family in New Jersey when he was 16 years old, 11 years before. He had shot himself in the head in an, a suicide attempt. He survived, but the bullet remained lodged in his skull. And as a result, his behavior had become more and more erratic over time. I bet. That's what fucking happens. Eventually, uh, leading up to this hijacking 11 years later, and uh, he boarded the plane wearing a chain necklace with a skull and bones uh, amulet on it. Cool. Which I'm sure every, like half the people here are wearing. (laughs) But back then, it was fucking weird. Um, The flight attendant brings uh, this guy, John DeVivo, to the cockpit, which was being manned by Captain John Robert Wilbur Jr. He's 35 years old. He's an Air Force pilot who had only been promoted to captain six months prior. And he is with his co-pilot, First Officer James Hartley, who's 30. Um, The Captain Wilbur calmly says to the flight attendant, okay, uh, please let all the passengers know everything is fine and nothing is wrong. Put on your flight attendant face. Yes. And uh, so she goes back, and then the captain and his co-pilot, they expect DeVivo to demand to be taken to Cuba, because that was like where everyone wanted to go at the time when they (laughs) hijacked a plane. But instead, DeVivo tells the captain to fly east until they run out of gas. That's a bad fucking plan. No, it's bad. After, they were like, great. We'll do it. But after about 15 minutes, the captain said, told him that they'd crash into the Atlantic if they didn't return to Boston for fuel. So, because uh, they, they had been on their final approach for landing at the moment, so they didn't have a lot of gas, fuel, gas. Um, I'm sure it's just unleaded. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so DeVivo, uh, he says... He says okay to the refueling trip, but as soon as the plane starts to turn, he gets spooked somehow, and he abruptly shoots Officer Hartley in the chest. Oh, shit. And shoots Captain Wilbur twice, one in each arm. I know. No. It's bananas. Those are his steering arms. I know. (laughs) Crucial to flying a plane. That's right. Uh, Officer Hartley collapses, but despite being, he's the one who got shot in the chest, despite being mortally wounded, he fucking recovers enough to rip the gun from DeVivo's hand, fucking shoots him three times. Sorry, this is a lot of gunfire for a plane that's still in the air. And then he lapses into unconsciousness and dies. Oh, shit. What? How have we never heard about this? I mean, what a way to go out, too. You're Dude. just like, fuck you. He fucking, sh- yes. He, um, DeVivo is wounded. He slumps between the seats, but he's able, to, he's able to fucking, re- this is like a magic plane. He's able to fucking revive himself. He starts, he doesn't have his gun anymore, but he starts clawing at Captain Wilbur, attempting to grab the fucking steering wheel and force it to crash. Mm. Fucking, this, okay. <laughs> Cut. To, let's take a break for a second. Yes, please. Whew. Deep breath, everyone. Meanwhile, does, does anyone want a snack? <laughs> a cigarette? How about a cigarette? Snacks? Snacks. Oh, yes. Meanwhile, back in the plane, this this passenger, Peggy McLaughlin, she's a 19-year-old Boston college student at the time. Yeah. So she's not fucking around. Uh Uh-uh. She says that they were only dimly aware of the life-or-death battle going on in the cabin, that the passengers didn't even know what was going on. They heard a commotion. Uh, Someone said it sounded like a, uh, a, like a, what's it, like a fake gun, pop, 
A pop gun? Sure. Cap gun. A cap Thank gun. You. Thank you. Um, they didn't know what was going on they, and didn't realize they were in the midst of attempted hijacking until the shots rang out. And that some, when they heard that, some people dove from their seats to the floor and that the flight had, they realized the flight had veered off course because they found themselves flying over the back bay. Peggy thought they were going to land in the harbor, so she fucking starts taking her boots off, like, ready to fucking swim. <laughs> Always ready, that Peggy. That's right. And you know there's probably some hot, like, sexy 1970s boots, That's too. Right. And then she's like, I might as well change into my suit while we're doing this. <laughs> it's basically, yeah. Um, so, meanwhile, let's go back to the cockpit. So, so Wilbur, uh, Captain Wilbur, he... He's fighting with fucking DeVivo. He grabs the gun that had fallen to the ground, hits DeVivo over the fucking head with it, subduing <laughs> him, beats him with the pistol while continuing to fly the fucking plane. And those are, those are bullet arms, those right? Those are fucking, both of his arms are shot. <laughs> then Captain Wilbur radios the tower and says, my co-pilot is shot. Where the hell do you want me to put this thing? <laughs> so hot. So hot, so hard. He doesn't even mention that he's shot at all. Um, he, uh, he, this, so, so now DeVivo is unconscious, and despite being shot in both fucking arms, <laughs> be, bleeding badly, uh, Captain Wilbur is able to right the plane, because it had plunged during the struggle, Ugh. Yeah, and then safely lands safely and smoothly lands the fucking aircraft. <laughs> they can't do that sometimes when we're just coming into LAX. Yeah, and everything is fine. Yeah. Uh, smoothly at Logan. He yes. fucking lands that thing. Yes, he does. <laughs> Bananas. The entire event took place in only, uh, only 10 to 15 miles away from Logan International Airport at an altitude of between three and 5,000 feet. That's Whoa. nothing. No, it is not. Right? Uh, once the plane's safely on the ground, DeVivo is arrested and charged with murder. He's sent to Bridgewater State Hospital for a mental evaluation. <laughs> you, can ch- you can cheer for Bridgewater State Hospital. <laughs> it's, we have a whole group from there tonight. Yes, right? great. Welcome. Um, he's taken for a mental evaluation, but basically they're like, fuck this shit. And he's taken to Suffolk County Jail at Charles Street. And uh, no trial would take place, though, because on Halloween 1970, while awaiting trial for air piracy and murder, DeVivo hangs himself in a cell. Mm. Peggy McLaughlin, our 19-year-old booted girl. Please tell me she marries the captain. Oh, no, that would be so cute. Dang it. Oh, shit. We'll make it that way in the movie. Yeah. She's played by uh, Chloe Sevigny. Yay. She becomes a librarian and a yoga instructor. <laughs> Amazing. And she doesn't fucking talk about this for decades. Like, it was a time period where they, they were like, you good? Great. You don't need therapy. The end. Goodbye. That's it. Yeah. Don't talk about it ever again. Best if you don't tell anyone. Right. Yeah. Um, she said one time the FBI stopped by after to ask her questions about it, and then she never fucking spoke about it again until uh, when... Captain Sully landed uh, the, 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 the not a boat. It was it <laughs> well, turned it into was. a boat, yeah. but at first it was a plane and landed in the Hudson. And then she's like, "You know what? I have a story to fucking tell too." <laughs> oh, you like landing planes in, in an emergency? Water? I got a story. Great. Um, but she says that the memory had never left her. Of course, 
Yeah, so James Hartley and Captain Wilbur were proclaimed heroes, and on March 24th, 1970, the U.S. Senate passed a resolution that commended them both for their, quote, extraordinary heroism and competence. Uh, now retired Captain Robert Wilbur, the captain uh, says, the captain, Captain Robert, the captain, I wrote. <laughs> he says he doesn't think about it that often. <laughs> But Peggy eventually wrote a letter to him thanking him for saving her life. Uh, he and then in- they fell in love? No. Oh. <laughs> he ins- Wilbur, Captain Wilbur insisted that he was just doing his, do- his job and that James Hartley was the hero. Oh. And that, you guys, is the Eastern Airlines hijacking of Flight 1320. Oh. That was amazing. How crazy is that? It was amazing. It's like, it, isn't that long? I just hate when I find out how much, how many things I don't know. I know. There's just so many things in that story where I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. That's crazy. Like a train, you just get on and then you pay while you're on the plane? <laughs> Stupid. 1570. There was on a plane, the plane that we flew out here on, mm-hmm. they, I went into the bathroom and they had a, um, an ashtray oh. in the door. It's so scary when it, that happens. It's so scary. You're like, how fucking old is That's this right. plane? It happens. It's a, we go on a lot of planes and you, the majority of them still have ashtrays. Yeah. <laughs> And that, we're here tonight to petition. <laughs> we need to start cycling those fucking things out. For that to stop. Or let's just start smoking on planes again. <laughs> but I don't want to, yeah. It's terrifying. It's insane. Do we have time for a home time? we do, actually. <laughs> Thank you. Let me pick my various undergarments out of the places they're not supposed Ooh, to be. Standing up. All right. Karen has some rules I have some to things, tell you. And I think it's really important that you listen to me right now because there are people, I say this part, mm-hmm. and people do not listen. They okay. don't. And then they get picked, and then they do a thing that I ask them not to do, and everyone in the room doesn't like them because of that, <laughs> and it's not good. So listen to what I'm telling you right now. When we do hometown murders and we're in the city, we like it when it's a local story. So the if, state is fine. The state is good. Locals good. We love accents. Um, <laughs> we want to hear something from what happened around here. That'd be great. Also, of course, I think you guys know this. It's good if you're not so drunk, you can't follow your own line of logic. Those are like the top two rules. Those, it's pretty important. Um, it's very nerve wracking to be up here. Once you get up here, there's like a you think you're fine at first, then this wave hits you, then your mind goes blank. You start remembering weird shit you did in high school. There's a whole. <laughs> there's a whole. Experience experience to it so you might think you have it in the pocket just make sure it's good when your story has a beginning a middle and an end for sure um usually it's good when the the end pays off so like our last hometown was amazing because it had this awesome ending Mm -hmm. um so that's i always recommend that and then finally um it's uh just remember everyone in the room hates you because you got picked (laughs) so make it quick all right And now George is going to pick. Me or you? I think you. Do you want me to do it? I want Karen to do it. Because you guys get this face and it hurts me in my soul and she can't see anything. You know why? Because you do it, you look at them too much. It's more of a psychic, it's an Italian psychic grandmother thing. (laughs) Show me how it's done. You have to do. Show me how it's done. Could you bring the lights up a little bit if it's possible? We'll just look at them. You can't do it, rich bitches in the balcony. (laughs) Crazy. Fucking fools. Yeah. 
Come on. Is it this one? Oh yeah, Vince is right there. Yeah, walk over here. I mean, I like your spirit and everything. It's nice. Did Did you think you were just going to jump down? (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, we called you, we called the balcony rich at the last show. So you just called the rich bitch. Hi. (laughs) What's your name? Vince. Thank you. Tabby. Come on. Hi, come here. What's your name? Here's a microphone. This is Tabby, everybody. Hi, Tabby. <laughs> oh, look at all your player. Bob's Burgers. Yay. Oh, my favorite murder. Oh, that's us. That's us. That's my podcast. <laughs> uh, where are you from? Um, New Bedford. Okay. Is that here? Nice. Check. Check. Okay, so um, this is like still an ongoing thing that's going on. Uh-oh. But um, this is the murder of... Shit. And um, she was the first person that was murdered this year in New Bedford. Wow. Yeah. Um, the case is still going, but um, on January 22nd, um, around 2 a.m., she was found outside of her home um, screaming. She wasn't dead yet. Um, and, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> and We're not laughing about that part. Yeah, it's no. more nervousness yeah. and stuff like that. Um, she was stabbed multiple times. It actually ended up being over 49 times by her neighbor because her neighbor didn't like how loud she played her music or her dog. Um, She had like a emotional support dog that was like small and yappy named Lolita. Mm -hmm. And it was too loud. So he decided to stab her. Jesus. Yeah. Super bad. Um... (laughs) And they texted each other, like, days before. And they actually, like, used the texts as evidence and stuff. And they talked about how, like, they were going to beat her up and sick his, like, pit bulls, apparently, on her. Um, But both her and her dog were stabbed. And she, unfortunately, did not make it. But her dog did survive. So... (laughs) Lolita lived. Tabby, everybody. Yay! Great job, great job. That way. Thank you. Oh my God, you guys. These two shows have been unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. I truly think this has been the least drunk, yelly crowd the two of them we've ever had. Incredible. Well, like, you know what it is? It feels like everyone's listening intently, yeah. like just right there listening. It's such a great feeling. Thank we, yeah. Not, you know, it's not like you guys have a bad reputation or anything <laughs> like that. We or did that, ply <laughs> Brooklyn last night with canned wine, so that might have been our own fault. But uh, yeah, um, you guys, this, these two shows have been so much fun. And the fact that we sold out three fucking shows. Three shows. Thank you so, so much for supporting us. We're so freaking lucky to be here and to be part of this. We're very, um, every time the ticket sales start and then people start tweeting us with insanely angry messages about how (laughs) they didn't get tickets and (laughs) what we need to do about it, um, we really take it as a huge compliment because this is a very, uh, this thing that's happening with this podcast is just very rare and it's very, very special. You guys have started your own community. You're connecting with each other. It's just, it's incredible. 
And we're really honored to be doing this with you. It's, you know, it's really a beautiful thing to see. And we really, really appreciate it. We hope you know that yeah. we are so, so grateful that yeah. we get to be here with you. It's insane. We really are. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. So, Boston, stay sexy. And... Good night, you guys. Thank you.